that um, you know on a continuum. And there's certainly not. And, and another fallacy that comes out of that is this uh, third way thing, the idea that that the um, the central point between two op opposites, opposite points of view, must be the truth. So that's a, that that twisted Hegelian idea of oh, you know, there's a synthesis between opposites, and and that's the right place to stand. And you see it in politics all the time, people claiming centrist, a centrist point of view that must be good. Oh, both sides hate me, so I must be right. <laughs> it's like, no, no, bros. That doesn't make you right. A proper argument makes you right. A proper set of relationships in the world that's informing your decision making, you know, and that you're doing with other people, that that would make you right. But yeah, just existing between two opposite points of view doesn't make you right. You know, that's another fallacy right there. Oh. Yeah. So if you're trying to escape, if you're trying to escape non-duality, no, if you're trying to escape duality, you know, by yeah. assuming that non-duality is the, is the point in between the dualisms, then no, that's, you are, you are right deep in the anus of duality there. <laughs> Welcome to the Sounds of San podcast. Today, San co-founder Zayan Maurizio Bonazzo hosts a conversation with Aboriginal scholar and writer Tyson Yunkaporta for a sand community gathering. All today on the Sounds of Sand podcast presented by Science and Non-Duality. Welcome to Science and Non-Duality. What is non-duality? The universal forces. It's the collective conscious being aware. Trauma is not the external event that happens. Trauma is the impact of that event, which is the disconnection from ourselves. That matter is energy. Energy is matter. That's what EMC squared is about. There's a language without nouns. There is a language without subjugation. There's a language without objectifying. But if it's recorded, then we there is a collapse. But if it's not, then it's the infinite potentiality. So, my name is Maurizio Benazzo. My name is Zaya. We are, yeah, and we, we live in the unceded territory of the coastal Miwok and Southern Pomo in what's now called uh, North California, Sebastopol. And we co-founded Sand 15 years ago. And that's enough about us, I would say. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. Everyone, yeah. Should we introduce, introduce Tyson and we go straight into it? Tyson, we're going to read a formal bio of yours. Short one. Short, promise. <laughs> Tyson Juncaporta is an academic, an arts critic, and a researcher who is a member of the Appalachian clan in far north Queensland. He carves traditional tools and weapons and also works as a senior lecturer in indigenous knowledge at Deakin University in Melbourne. He lives in Melbourne, in Australia. Tyson, welcome. It's such a joy and an honor to have you with us. Thank you for being here. Yeah. And yeah. we might prompt a few questions and then invite anyone to come with your comments or sharing whatever is in your heart. Everything is welcome. So that's the flow we're going to go with. Tyson, yeah. Well, that's that's good flows. <laughs> that's good flows. I just uh, let you know I'm, I'm um, uh, tuning in from a uh, Bunurong country um, near Antarctica <laughs> at, at the bottom of Australia, at uh, Melbourne. Yeah, Melbourne. Nice. Yes. 
Okay. And originally your land is Queensland, right? Or yeah, and um, uh, South Australia too when I was younger. But yeah, I finished up in um, um, Cape York. And I've yeah, I've, I've spent um, my life all, all over the place, um, as you know, so many of us do. You know, most Aboriginal people we're not sedentary staying like in, in one spot it's um you know you tend to go where the work is or you know where the funerals are or where the relationships are and so people tend to uh be fairly itinerant move around quite a bit you know so um not unusual <laughs> yeah so i picked up stories from all over and got good relationships all over this continent beautiful well, I was wondering uh, if you want to share something because you walk these two seemingly different worlds, right? The academia, the research world, and then um, you root it. And I don't know to what extent in your Aboriginal, Indigenous um, traditions and stories, how do you walk these two different worlds? How do you navigate? And do they um, ever converge or meet in any, in oh, any way you just shuffle through the colony <laughs> i'm like you know a savage sort of beast slouching towards jerusalem or something um yeah it's 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 tricky there's no there's no place that's just aboriginal you know the the colony is always there there's nowhere out in the bush that doesn't have some kind of that isn't you know we don't have any places that are just ours you know there's places that are under native title but that's usually fairly nominal native title so it's you know has other legal status as well um yeah it, it's really tricky and th there's no way speaking of non-duality there's no way to separate these things out because uh, you, you you can be aboriginal and you can ignore the academy you can ignore the science uh, you could ignore the extractive work of business, science, uh, government, all these things on your life, um, but you're still in it. This is impacting you every day. This is taking things from you every day. So, um, yeah, there's no problem walking. I mean, everybody has to walk in all those worlds, whether they like it or not, um, you know, and many stumble. Um, yeah, so... You can either face that reality and accept it and dive in and try and find some corner that you can apply your specialist knowledge, you know, and your relationships and all your family and kin knowledge. And you can apply that there to um, try and give other people an easier passage, or you can just lie down and get crushed by it like a big steamroller. Big steamroller with a big Captain Cook sitting at the wheel or something, you know. <laughs> and do you see anything moving in the academia more openness to other ways of seeing or being in the world or knowing is that happening or it's um... there, there there is the will you know and mm -hmm. you know our, our allies are as frustrated as we are you know, and we have as many allies as enemies, um, you know, but in the end, we're hampered by the um, algorithms of the enlightenment, <laughs> you know, yes. the stuff like 
the stuff that's like built in right from day one of the the rights of man and all that kind of thing you know um there are limitations um and i suppose we can get into that in more depth but i i guess that started out with um you know in france when they were first like you know deciding about what the rights of man are uh the the first human rights sort of business um they had a big debate over um whether or not jewish people could have human rights and the compromise that they landed on in the end was that jewish individuals could have human rights but not jewish communities and i guess that's the same now if we start getting into you know identity um things move in terms of individuals may be compensated or have allowances made for them on a case by case basis um you know and there may be friendships partnerships collaborations you know with individuals or you know isolated groups of people but um you know but not indigenous communities yeah. <laughs> our ident- our identities aren't individualized identities but we can only access the benefits of equality and human rights we can only access that as individuals so therefore our identities have to shift into individualized identities mm-hmm. and it's at that moment that we become assimilated um and we start you know broadcasting projecting signaling our our fabulous intersectionalities and our you know like you know there is social capital to be had um in very limited ways but it's there anyway um you know we're we're all these fabulous individuals out there kind of you know um leveraging these individualized indigenous identities into a kind of social capital that we can use to gamble on a a social futures market we can speculate you know with these things and um and try to leverage some social mobility from that you know so we have a middle class you know a very vibrant and large middle class now in aboriginal australia and our role is to redecorate the colony in a post colonial style <laughs> so nothing structural allowed but you know lots of posters on the wall um you know lots of boomerangs in glass cases lots of assertions of sovereignty and you know and um declarations about racism and everything else that people really support us in but they you know they can't really help us on the, at that individual level you know we can make friends but we can't reconcile uh with our histories and the different cultures that are here um it's a tricky tricky world very very uh, tricky we we met a young filmmaker in Australia while we were there and he is also a performer of cultural dance and he says when i'm on stage everybody worship me and they look at us like gods and then as soon as i leave the stage you know i'm treated like you know like i'm a criminal or i'm not allowed to fish in the traditional rivers where my ancestors i i can't fish because of preservation Right. So well, yeah. our identities, our identities are group identities. Right. You know, your identity, you don't have an individual identity, you have a group identity. This with your kin, you know, both human and non-human and and the place, the places that are that are yours that you're connected to or affiliated with. This is your identity. You know, but when you're in that identity, you don't have rights. <laughs> but when you step out of that identity into an individualized 
sort of package of um you know advantages disadvantages privileges non-privileges um when you step into this the minute you step into that you're an individual and then you have rights you know um mm. but our, for us an identity is a group identity and you know i say that as though that's not true for every human being um it is true like human identities are group identities human ethnicities are you know group identities everybody has these this is how we are hardwired as a species you know and um everybody's just branding themselves because they have to to survive you know um and then we we just try and make do as best we can under the very bad bosses that we labor beneath trying to like you know bring some i don't know bring some kind of unique skill set whereby we can um add value to their capital you know uh, and that's pretty much what we do all of us um yeah um to continue on the identity topic i was just let's see if i can formulate so um Non-duality, we grab that from the Eastern traditions of Buddhism and Advaita and um, apply it in our own way to the Western world. But in essence, um, you know, it's about deconstructing identity, the sense of self, individual, the sense of I. But in the process of bringing it to the West, we stumbled about, uh, um, into something about like spiritual bypassing, right? So that's very predominant because I think mm. of the extraction process, perhaps, maybe, I don't know. I don't have a theory of that. On the other hand, um, identity is important. And I think a lot of Western white people have lost that kind of identity as a group, as a, as a, as a belonging to, to a long lineage of, beings um and and then we've stumbled into the whole politics of identity where now is dividing our society uh, I, I don't believe i don't believe that um this idea of the west ha having lost its identity you know mm -hmm. it, it mm -hmm. what 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 it has is a whole heap of disinformation deliberate disinformation about oh. the past and their identities that's there to service the needs of the powerful and to create this privileged group that will, you know, um, do anything to ensure that, um, that the current system stays in place. I, I don't believe the West, the Western people have lost their identity. I believe that it's just been muddied by a whole heap of disinformation and false stories. Um, so, you know, particularly you know, references to a golden age or a past that could be 50 years ago or, you know, a thousand years ago. But there are all these references to a tradition, you know, a long tradition, which is usually a lie. It's usually a wrong story made up. Um, but to give people a sense that they've lost something and that they're losing something so that every time they see, you know, somebody, a non-Western person um, doing okay, that somehow that's taken something from them. You know, so Western culture has been deliberately manipulated into becoming a culture of grievance, a culture of a sense of loss, a sense of, you know, I have lost 
you know, my privileges, my rights. There are all these marauding Visigoths, you know, <laughs> descending on Rome <laughs> to take, you know, what's left. And now we must fight, you know. And there's the the way that Christian identities particularly have been manipulated um, in, in order to mobilize people at the local level, state level, federal level, uh, to mobilize these populations to form a, a very passionate angry base you know a mob um people who you know a certain percentage of them if if you get the right messaging right that they will be prepared to do street violence you know and that they can be directed with dog whistles and vague messages towards certain minority groups etc you know to do violence and then a small percentage of those will be happy to pick up a rifle and, and storm into a nightclub or a school you know or a government built thing um yeah so you know i i don't believe the west has lost its culture you know i believe like like every other culture it's um every every other arbitrary delineation of a cultural or an ethnicity you know that there's a lot of diversity in there there are a lot of diverse traditions in there um and there's just been this big basket that's been created you know um that includes a lineage going back to ancient greeks but refuses to admit modern Greeks into the, <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't know how Socrates gets claimed by the West, but, you know, my mate Constantine down the road, he he's not welcome because he's too brown, <laughs> you know? Uh, uh, Maurizio, your people weren't welcome bloody 50 years ago. <laughs> right, it's true. Yeah, and it, it's, oh, man, and this is, this is a, I don't know. I've always wanted. I, ever since I saw that that last Thor movie, did you see Love and Thunder? No. Ah, no. Okay. No. So Russell Russell Crowe is playing Zeus. You know the god Zeus. Mm. You know, and he's doing an accent which I think international audiences would not pick up as really offensive. And the accent that he's doing, it's not a, an actual Greek accent, but it's an accent that. Um, that uh that boomers and the silent generation uh used to use to make fun of uh you know mediterranean immigrants it's like this exaggerated like it's like um give us an interaction you know so back you know back back in the <laughs> uh you know um i can't do it <laughs> i just can't do it <laughs> it hurts me it hurts me to do it because i know you know there were things like we we had things like the kalgoorlie riots in australia where people, um, where big white angry mobs would storm down the street and smash all the Italian businesses and um, would assault and kill Italian people, Italian immigrants. You know, it's it's not that long ago. That's just a few decades ago. You know, we, we had um, uh, um, we had riots just uh, like a couple of decades ago uh, that was like just this big race war of you know, uh, white people in Sydney getting Southern Cross tattoos on on themselves, like, and that became the swastika. You know, and then they were just after all the brown people. They were after the, you know, um, you know, Middle Eastern and you know, Greek, Italian, etc. You know, migrants. Um, yeah, really, really terrible stuff. So it really hit me when I heard him doing this accent, and then, and I haven't heard anybody sort of call him out on it. It's just like, oh my God, they're going to let him keep doing it <laughs> because these international audiences, they don't understand what that 
accent means. It's it's like a deliberate insult. But then I see, like, he just keeps going because then he does The Pope's Exorcist, this movie recently where he plays uh, like a, a Roman Catholic priest, you know, in Italy, uh, who works for the Vatican as an exorcist. And <laughs> He's doing it again. <laughs> oh, the same one. Maybe it's, the, it's one of the few he knows. Uh, it's actually. actually better because it's a serious movie and not a superhero movie. You can see that he actually had some dialect coaching. And when he's speaking Italian, it's actually, it's pretty good Italian he's speaking. Oh, it's, check it's, him out. It's almost believable. Like he can still, mm, mm, <laughs> you can still hear that twang in there. <laughs> but, you know, anyway, it's it's a it's a terrible movie. It's like trying to... um um excuse the the spanish inquisition as like no 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 that wasn't the church that was demons who took over <laughs> that was demons who possessed like high level people in the church and and they did the inquisition we didn't do it <laughs> you know and i guess that brings us back to this whole idea of the west constantly rewriting its its own histories you know um yeah and and we can get into that. I, you know, there's a lot of logical fallacies that are that are deployed there, and I've been interested in logical fallacies lately. Uh, you want to share one of yes. you've been wrestling with? Uh, oh God, yeah. Um. Oh my God. Um. Oh, well, this. Okay, they're all based on stuff stuff that happened in the playground when you're at school, when you're a kid. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, some kid would be grabbing your arms and smashing your face with them and go, stop hitting yourself, stop hitting yourself. Or, or, um, or, you know, like if you call out someone's bad behavior or bullying or something, then they go, you are, you know, I know you are, but what am I like, you know, no, I'm not doing that. You're doing that. Like they just flip it around. They're the, they're the like basic ones. And so that's, um, that one's called a two quoque. Um, I don't know how to say the Latin. I don't think anybody does. Um, maybe in the Vatican they do. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but they've all got Latin names, these ones. Um, but that one's like, uh, you know, it, it, to escape accountability, you just flip the whole thing around and reverse it and put it back yes. on the other person. It's, um, yeah. no. no, no, that's not me. That's you. <laughs> you know, so, yeah, if you want like a really good, like, um, introduction to logical fallacies, just, just type in Donald Trump and press play because um, he doesn't. He does them all. <laughs> um, and there's there's another one that I saw. So the one that I'm talking about with the 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 other uh, Pope's exorcist with the Russell Crowe thing. I, I can't remember what it's called, but it's like, well, if um, if Y follows X, then therefore X caused Y. Whoa. You know what I mean? Um, and that's yeah. a logical fallacy because it doesn't necessarily follow that, you know, just because this proceeded, it doesn't mean that that's what caused it, you know. Um, oh, I, I'm a bit dupy this morning, so I, I can't remember exactly uh, what that one was called, but it's got a Latin name. These all have Latin names. Give <laughs> it weight and reasoning, right? That's yeah, yeah. Must be true. <laughs> yeah, and I like oh, I've just written this whole thing. I, I've done like a so I got another book coming out in October, but then I got another one coming out later this year, where I'm like in dialogue with um with spiritual like thought leaders from all around the world, mm. um and and so they're all writing a chapter responding 
from their faith uh, to the book Sand Talk that I wrote in 2019. And then I wrote, I wrote a chapter responding to that. And I've chosen to go through and follow the themes of these, um, you know, logical fallacies. And I basically, I'm pointing out all the logical fallacies that I deployed in Sand Talk <laughs> unwittingly, but that makes it um, vast quantities of that book are just um, uh, a rubbish logic. You know, you, you, you lean on these these logical fallacies if you if you haven't got good facts or you haven't got you know a decent argument or you're too lazy to make a decent argument. Um, so, like, it, it, there's one called the argumentum ad fastidium, mm-hmm. and and that's um, and that's where you, that's that's where you just um, it, you express disgust about something, and that yeah. that that's enough. <laughs> that thing's bad because it's disgusting. I find it yeah. disgusting. So that's it. That's your whole argument finished. <laughs> and, and fastidium basically mean until you are fed up. Fastidium, yeah. fastidium. you can't stand yeah. until you can't stand it anymore. Until the, you are fed up. Yeah. The biggest one that I use is the argumentum ad ad um, a, a, antiquitum. Ad antiquitum. You know, so the appeal to tradition. If it's somebody told the six hundred years, if it has a yeah, if it has a long tradition, if it has a long long tradition behind it, then it must be good. Must be true. People have been doing it forever. Then it must be right. So that's like half of my. You know what I mean? And that's you know it's often true, but you, you you need to do more. Like you can't just present an idea from Aboriginal culture and then say, "Well, it's old, so it's good." You know, because that's just the um the ancient wisdom grift like it's definitely a grift it's um it's a rip it's 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 a guru making cult making kind of grift you know this idea of oh we have ancient wisdom you know and then people are like ah show me the ancient wisdom you know what i mean it's like well it's very secret but i'll give you and i take you know what i mean yeah, that's it. Man, there's heaps of it. I didn't even know I was doing it in Santor until I was reading it in the in the sound booth for the audio book. And I'm reading it aloud to myself, uh, not to myself, but to the microphone. And I'm going, okay, I heard it. I heard it that time. Okay. <laughs> you know, um, um, so, but uh, there's another one that's just about false binaries, false dichotomies. I can't remember the Latin. But you know, in, and this this is important for the non-duality theme. You set up these these um, false binaries, like between good and evil. I do it all the time in Sand Talk. I even do a good and evil bit. You know that that complexity is good, and simplicity is evil, kind of thing. Like, and that's just not how anything works in any culture, in nature, in physics, in anything. Nothing works like that. There's never these two polar opposites that um you know on a continuum and there's certainly not and and another fallacy that comes out of that is this uh third way thing the idea that that the um the central point between two opposites opposite points of view must be the truth so that's that that twisted hegelian idea of oh you know there's a synthesis between opposites and and that's the right place to stand and you see it in politics all the time, people claiming centrist, a centrist point of view that must be good. Oh, both sides hate me, so I must be right. <laughs> it's like, no, no, bros. That doesn't make you right. A proper argument makes you right. 
a proper set of relationships in the world that's informing your decision making, you know, and that you're doing with other people, that that would make you right. But yeah, just existing between two opposite points of view doesn't make you right. You know, and it's another fallacy right there. Oh, yeah. Beautiful. So if you're trying to escape, if you're trying to escape non-duality, no, if you're trying to escape duality, you know, by yeah. assuming that non-duality is the is the point in between the dualisms, then no, that's you are you are right deep in the anus of duality there. <laughs> but I wrote six books about it. But that's it. the issue with the again the way we taking some deep deep understandings from those traditions. Mm and make them into a thing that we, we can understand with our rational, yeah. logic, Western mindset. Yeah. And well, there's, like, there's, non-duality lives in every indigenous community, I mean, every indigenous teaching, but mm. it's not a thing, it's not described, it's, mm. it's right, it's embodied, it's lived, it's constantly moving, evolving, shifting, changing, you can't say this is it. Yeah, the moment you mentioned it, you went out of it, basically. But it's not a lawless process. You know, in, in indigenous cultures, the cultural exchange is intensely rule governed. Mm. And every every exchange is, is deeply considered, carefully considered before changes are accepted. You know, so the idea of hybridity or of um this this secular aesthetic of pastiche. So the idea of pastiche, it's just like, oh, the melting pot, all these cultures just ping around randomly and then, you know, in chaos and then something beautiful emerges, which is this hybridized, lovely, centrist kind of third way amazing culture emerges. No, no, no. You, you're going to have a mess if that happens. You're going to have problems if that happens, you know. So secularism is an interesting thing. Um so secular being, you know, the non-spiritual, the rational, etc. It's a, um, it's one of those. It's 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 this double standard fallacy thing. Um, this idea that the empires, when they came into the uh, southern hemisphere, um, that they exported secularism, they imposed secularism, you know, on the governance of their colonies. While, you know, and, and touted that as, as being, uh, rational and, in, and part of the enlightenment. But at the same time, they had basically theocracies operating back in the motherland still, you know, and they still do today. So to a large extent, the UK is sort of masquerading as, as, as secular, but it's very, it's very theocratic, you know, but they kind of have these demands on the, the, on the lands and peoples that they take over to make them secular at the same time as sending missionaries to <laughs> convert them. But the, the, the governance, the science, the everything else is, is supposed to be secular and a separation of church and state. And so a, a big part, uh, secularism is really characterized by that notion of pastiche. You know, that, that idea that there is, you know, if you throw all these cultures together, then this hybridized new thing will emerge you know, that will be perfect, you know, as if by magic. It's the same thinking as the invisible hand of the marketplace, all these random consumers just behaving erratically, that it forms in the aggregate a big, uh, you know, wisdom of the crowd <laughs> that's going to select 
for the most optimal path through, you know, that the market will solve everything. It's the same, it's the same logic, the same thinking that pastiche that's not rule governed will somehow give rise to something perfect. It, it does not, you know, and they know they knew this and they know this. You know, they know that what it gives rise to is actually um just assimilation. They end up with a um with a big population that basically shares a a you know shares a common kind of wisdom, a common set of you know ideals that makes them more manipulable, m- more easily controlled as one big nation. You know, um, yeah, that that can be you know manipulated into accepting an economic system, accepting systems of labor, um, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You know, irrationally feeling you know and. A patriotic kind of, you know, belonging, you know, to a nation, and that idea of a nation—that's only a century old. That's a new system that was brought in to make the industrial era work, to make sure that people could be, um, you know, conscripted into standing armies and and armies of factory workers as well, and all the rest. The industrialization of labor and of society, etc. And that was only a century ago. So. I'm not going to let Western people off the hook saying that they somehow they've lost their culture. It was only a century ago that everyone was moved into this. And 50 years ago, most people still lived on the land in the West. Most people still had farms. And if they didn't have a farm, they had a very large backyard. Even in Melbourne, you can still see, um, you know, in these gentrified suburbs, you know, in a lot of the backyards, you can still see the remains of old pigsties and chicken pens. Everybody kept chickens. Everybody kept pigs. Everybody had veggie gardens. You know, it's only recently people stopped being connected to the soil um, you know, to our detriment as a species. Huh? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, in in New Zealand, let's say we've met people who know their lineage for 13 generations, the name of grandmother, grandfather. I haven't met anyone, at least here in the US, in Turtle Island, that knows more than Grandpa. two generations before and what happened to them. And mm. so I'm I'm hinting on that kind of identity, lineage-based identity, knowing what happened to the ancestors that informs who we are today and what we do today. Mm. And that I would I'm curious to know your take. Uh you know, we released last year, no, two years ago, the movie The Wisdom of Trauma, which now reflecting back from what mm. we know today has a very much this kind of Western individualistic uh, psychotherapeutic based lens through which we see trauma, right? And as we are exploring now trauma through the lens of intergenerational ancestral wounding, um, the way we understand trauma has changed dramatically. Well, I mean, you're both, you're both like, you know, you'd be called Western and you have to interact with the Western marketplace. And so so you you have to, you have to repackage things through that. But, you know, yeah, like people would call you Western. And, but the fact is you both come from cultures where lineage is important, you know, where your, your town, you know what I mean? Your, your, um, your place 
is important, you know, and, and your family and extended family and all your ancestors and then your town and then your region and your regional dialect, that is an important part of your identity. You know, you have these orbits of identity as you go out into the world. And as you interact with the world in the outer orbits, you have to change your, your, you have to code switch and you both code switch well into that outer orbit that you have to, when you interact with that marketplace, in the orbit that's furthest from home, you have to repackage your stuff into some marketable form. And that's, you know, that's 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 fair enough, you know, but I, I bet that's not, if you're sitting down with, with your nonna and she's talking about curses and stuff, <laughs> you know, that's like you're not in that mindset anymore. You're there, you know, and she's talking about the great, 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 great grandmother, you know, uh, De Fabio or whatever, <laughs> you know, had a castle and you know uh, all the rest. Um, it, she's got. She's talking about bloody, you know, uh, her parents hanging out with Garibaldi and <laughs> and doing doing amazing stuff. You know, yeah, it's it's a whole different thing. It's um, you know, your cultures. I don't know, especially like like I was saying before with the Russell Crowe stuff. Italy has only recently been included in the basket of whiteness, and that's just because they they're not breeding fast enough. The people who call themselves white aren't breeding fast enough, so they have to keep inviting other people in and making them white. It doesn't make you white <laughs> anyway. <laughs> On that level, yes, but they are the like the oldest uh, empire, right? They've carried the colonial mindset for the longest. <laughs> so, so I, I'm just talking in terms of disconnect that we've had for so many generations from land, from spirit, from uh, you know the pagan traditions were wiped, basically erased by the church thousands of years ago. That yeah, kind but of still, this one. Identity. Knock on wood. They they still do knock on wood. Have you heard that? <laughs> we do. Yeah, we do. That's, that's, Anglo, that's Anglo people who supposedly have no pagan traditions, right. they still like <laughs> if you know to ward off against bad luck and curses of 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 saying something bad that might happen. They knock on or hoping for something. They knock on wood. It's still there. It has to be wood because uh-huh. you've got to connect with the wood. It's you look into a thousand little things that people do. This oh, you know. Yeah. People are still like if they're spilling salt, throwing it over their left shoulder or whatever, you know. Um, people from uh-huh. Generation X and and the Boomers, they're still keeping the wishbone off the chicken and drying it out on the windowsill above the sink and then snapping it to make a wish. They're doing a thousand things. They're blowing out candles on a freaking cake. You know, do you know what that means? These, these are all pagan traditions coming yeah, down. They're, they're using out. every time. It. Every time you say it's Thursday today, pagan, you know, everything, everything is pagan. <laughs> You're yeah. freaking me out because I feel like I feel, as I was saying, I feel such, such a loss when I go back in my culture. I feel like, oh, there is nothing. I wish more culture. And now you're mentioning things that are, well, obviously, you're not wood. That's not. But you're saying something. You're, you're making me face the obvious that I compete. It's so obvious that I don't see it. Thank you. I mean, it's beautiful. Oh, and I want I, to start I, to explore these little things. Like I went to Italy. Like I went to Italy, you know, looking for culture. You know, you, like you never see your own. My culture is just normal for me. 
No, we I, went to you know, Australia to look for yeah, culture. I know. I, I went culture. to Italy looking for culture and I found it. You know, if you're if you're looking, if you're, you know, if you're being hosted in someone else's culture, you know, you learn so much and you see things that they don't even see. You know, I'm hanging out in a CZ and I'm sitting just with wonder at the fountain that's a spring. You know, it's a sacred spring that's been a sacred spring for 10,000 years in that place. And people have gathered around it and they're still gathering around it because it's in the square. You know, uh, I'm there and I'm seeing all these saints who are just, um, you know, they're just the same old pagan entities that have been there forever, but they're just wearing different robes now. And and I felt it deep, really deep. And I went out with the hunters who were hunting wild boar, you know, I'm, I'm talking to people who are speaking in dialects that are just so far removed from standard Italian. You know what I mean? They're, they're carrying through, you know, it's their region. The land is still shaping the language, you know, in, in these ancient ways. I'm seeing all this stuff there in Italy and it blew my mind. Um, you know, so I, I've, I've always been fascinated with Italy in, in that I mean, way, that it manages to be so modern, but it's still got uh, feet grounded firmly in the past and italian australians are people i always always want to hang out with because there's not one italian family i know who isn't profoundly connected to the soil and the earth and the ground there's not one italian family i know here who doesn't do seasonal activities of um of harvesting the tomatoes they grow making the passata and that they all have like a, a shed where they yeah. where they make their sausage yeah See, it's like oh, oh no, that's my culture. Oh, I don't have any. I don't have any culture there. That's the that's the offensive accent. I don't have any culture. I lost my culture. Oh, I want to be connected to the land. I want to be connected to the land. Oh, oh hey, bring me that sort of making wine, making their own wine, making grappa. The amount of grappa, the amount of brain cells I've lost from drinking grappa, like homemade grappa with Italians, I tell you, <laughs> it's probably half my problems is drinking with Italians. <laughs> I like to participate in your problem. <laughs> yeah. Look, look, my main, my, my, the main message I wanted to get across in Santor and failed was like, you know, don't be looking to my culture for ancient wisdom. It's just like, just notice your own. Notice your own culture. It's it's pretty, you know, there's stuff there and there's stuff there that's solid and that the powerful haven't got their claws into yet and twisted on you. You know, there is good story there. You know, drink from it. It's there. There's right story. That's a beautiful invitation. Yeah. Yeah, in a way, that's how we perpetuate the colonial mindset that something out there is better than what we've got right we need more of that it's more spiritual it's more connected it's more relational yeah yeah you have to be dissatisfied with with what you have and you have to crave something else constantly and then you need upgrades all the time because you're like a dream catcher and eagle feather fan or something <laughs> that you bought and you know and that's after a few months you're like you know well i'm not catching any dreams there and this fans just i'm bored with this fan now i'm gonna i think i'm gonna look for some crystals you know <laughs> or whatever yeah. yeah that is the spiritual consumerism that we are that's it and that brings it back to the bypass that you were talking about before 
that spiritual bypass. But, you know, all of us do it. Like I say, in sand talk, it's just full of, you know, ancient wisdom grift, like, you know, packed to the rafters. And it's very hard to speak in English or write in English without doing some form of that, without your discourse being co-opted into something that serves the economy. You know, if your if if your book is capable of being published, then it's probably got some evil stuff in it that's serving serving the the marketplace. You know, and you got to let yourself off the hook on that individually. This brings us back to the identity thing. You know, you you don't have an individual identity; you have a group identity. So you know, things like that that you have to do as an individual to survive. That does not define your group identity. That does not define your culture and your family and everything else. You know, that's just the things that we all have to do to survive. You know, so that authenticity that everybody's looking for, usually it's an extractive thing, but the authenticity is there. Everybody has it. It's always running through and there's always continuity going back through, you know, even if you've even if your family's ended up absorbing that many cultures, there is a through line that goes through and that and that's your tradition and it is authentic and it's there. It's just, um, you know, it just may not be marketable or packageable as an authenticity sort of um, product. <laughs> well, oh. well, absolutely, yeah. Thank you, Bev. Thank, Thank you, Bev. Thank you, Tyson, so much for this time. And sorry we couldn't take it all the questions. Take sorry. Uh, we'll continue this conversation. This continues one way or another. Yeah. So I fear it's time to close. And really, we can only thank each and every one of you. Thank you for, for this being rich here. conversation, you know, Tyson, and for your sharing uh, vulnerability yeah. darkness all of it because that's human that's authentic if we need to put a label right uh, so thank you for giving us permission yeah to it's to so refreshing it. so refreshing to hear you so refreshing i'm deeply touched by by the way you yeah i i always loved your work but now in this conversation uh, you you had a, a notch to what i thought it was impossible to beat i adore you man you're awesome thank you and thank you for listening to the sounds of sand we invite you to explore more of our talks dialogues videos articles events and offerings through our website scienceandnonduality.com if you've enjoyed this conversation please consider becoming a member to access our massive library of SAND content, available exclusively to SAND members. And we would love it if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google, and Spotify, and share this episode with your family, friends, and all sentient beings. Be well.